Hey, I'm Christina Rea, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we're breaking down screenwriting competitions. If you'd like to suggest a new topic, send us a compliment, ask us a question, or otherwise get in touch, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at BreakingOutPod, or via email, BreakingOutOfBreakingInPod at gmail.com. And if you want deeper dives into everything we cover on this podcast, subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash breakingoutpod. For just $3 a month, you'll get bonus content like templates, curated learnings, and custom infographics. For $5 a month, you'll get a holographic logo sticker. And for $10 a month, you'll get that, the sticker, and a shout out at the end of every episode because you are one of our VIPs. I am so excited to introduce this week's guest, Jerry Maravilla. Jerry, please introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you make. Well, uh, hello. Thank you so much to both of you for having me. Uh, I am Jerry Maravilla. I'm a writer and filmmaker. Uh, I've been specifically uh, focused on writing in the horror genre the last few years, but I've made short films that kind of cross lots of different genres. Um, I've also done music videos and branded content. Very awesome. cool. Very cool. <laughs> Welcome. Jerry and I worked together for... I guess three years? I don't know. Yeah, I think so, because I started in September of 2015, and then I left June of 2019. I think that's right. So yeah, I started in March 2016, so three years, and then we became fast friends and have been... We like we work in kind of similar genres. I mean, we're both sort of intersecting at horror, though you tend to go more dramatic and I tend to go more comedic. But I think like we have similar also kind of career goals and trajectories. And so you're just such a, a great person to have in my corner. Um, and I've been asking you a lot of advice recently about screenwriting competitions oh. in particular. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean... I, I feel grateful to have worked with you, you know, and I think that to that similar background, it really came from, I knew who you were from your crowdfunding campaign because I was like started to dip my toes into that world because uh, I had a film that I was looking to crowdfund and the only campaigns I had known at that point were mostly celebrity campaigns. So I was trying to gather information <laughs> of real people. Uh, so I remembered you and then when we got to work together and it just kind of continued to grow and to build upon that. And I've all, always been grateful for how much you support me and the things that I do, even sometimes more than I'm supporting myself. So <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's what friends, friends are, for. are for. Yes. <laughs> so, Jerry, what are what are you working on right now? We like to try and uh, establish early on for each of our guests, like, how are you making money? How are you, you know, supporting yourself as you pursue this crazy dream that is Hollywood and screenwriting? Yeah. So, yeah. So what am I working on? Like what's paying the bills right now? <laughs> yeah. Right now I'm working as an impact producer and distribution strategist for uh, an independent documentary film that has to do with a general aviation crash called Invisible Sky. They kind of came to me because they had produced this film and just needed help getting it out into the world. So based upon the some distribution experience I had before, mostly though rooted in my audience building experience, I've been helping them navigate the film festival world, get out on platforms and really connect to folks in the general aviation audience who are looking to make improvements to the way the federal government regulates general aviation. So 
I have that on one end, and I recently um, have signed on to be a, a mentor with the Youth Cinema Project, which is through the Latino Film Institute, which teaches filmmaking to like underserved communities um, from different grade levels. So I'm actually uh, co-mentoring a screenwriting class for 7th and 8th graders. Oh, that's cool. So when you say mentoring, is it like like reading their work and giving them advice? Or are you doing lectures? Like what what does that look like? It's a like a after school program. And so it's like two times a week. And my co-mentor, Charisse, uh, she's been doing it for a long time. And we just kind of run through created established curriculum from the Latino Film Institute because they've been doing it for many years. And it's all building towards them having completed short film scripts that we will then do a table read for. The program also has done filmmaking like they would actually help them make short films but due to covid and things like that they wanted to extend and been moving towards uh screenwriting as well that's really cool yeah so what are you working on writing wise right now yeah that's a good question too (laughs) i um have this feature horror film called the halloween club that i have gone through many drafts and spent many years working on um but i'm also in the process right now of uh, adapting that into a graphic novel so that is one thing i'm working on um i've also been in the process of outlining a new horror thriller film that has to do with los angeles's old movie palaces that were created in the age of golden age of hollywood then were abandoned because they were in downtown la and not hollywood and were taken over by mexican and spanish speaking uh promoters to screen mexican cinema and now downtown's going through massive gentrification i'm working on a horror thriller that deals with that as like a metaphor for gentrification and the movie business and underrepresented communities not only in the city but in the film industry as a whole Wow, that's really cool. And speaking of the Halloween Club, uh, it has gotten quite a few uh, finalists and semi-finalist accolades from various screenwriting competitions. So to just kind of give everyone an overview of why it is that Jerry, uh, you know, other than just being a really cool dude, is here today for this episode, uh, is that the, the the Halloween Club has been a finalist in the Emerging Screenwriter Genre Competition, Horror Top 10. Uh, it was a finalist in the Script to Comic Contest, uh, the 13horror.com film and screenplay contest and it was a semi-finalist for screencraft's horror competition and we'll get into all of these in specifics but i want to just read some things out loud about how cool jerry is to make him a little <laughs> bit uncomfortable before we start the rest of this it's working um your other film that i'm going to butcher the spanish pronunciation of uh but in english is show me how to die is uh it was a top 25 roadmap shorts competition winner and it was a semi-finalist in the we screenplay shorts contest and your film cross was in the stowe story lab and was a semifinalist in the Latino screenwriting project. So you've been you've been around around the bend in terms of uh, screenwriting competitions. You you kind of seem to have a good sense of the the place. So what do you remember the first like screenplay competition you ever submitted to? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, well, I, yeah, I am old, so I haven't <laughs> done the, the uh, benefit of lots of trial and failure. Two different things. I think you know maybe not too long out of school, like I once I heard about stuff like the Sundance Screenwriting Lab like I just submitted to stuff in the way that like many filmmakers just submit to Sundance and of course like nothing happened um, (laughs) as a result of it I started looking at other programs but they were more director focused so it wasn't until about 2015 or so that I started looking at screenwriting competitions because I had been so focused on directing short films 
that I hadn't, you know, invested as much time into into the into writing larger screenplays. And um, it, I, once I had the feature screenplay of Cross because I had made that into a short film, um, I decided to try things like the Latino Screenwriters Initiative. And the, I tried again with the Sundance Labs, still didn't get in, you know, it's highly competitive. <laughs> and maybe a couple of other ones, but to be honest, for a while, I was also kind of resistant to these competitions. So like I submitted mm-hmm. to the Latino screenwriting one because I felt like I'm Mexican-American. This story has a large uh, Mexican-American uh, presence in it, even though it's about a Filipino-American character. But uh, I thought maybe I would have a shot more or they'd be more open to understanding some of the, the cultural things I was trying to go for in, in the story. So yeah, it wasn't until I actually went to the Stowe Story Labs that I started to have a different kind of view of screenwriting competitions. So can you talk about that? The What what like the Stowe Story Lab sort of how, how it was structured and what changed your mind about the, the idea of screenwriting competitions? I think one of the big things that prevented me from submitting is that they're expensive. And so (laughs) (laughs) um, those fees can add up. Um, I was very poor uh, at the time. And, you know, it was kind of like trying to balance the fees of like, do I want to submit my short film to festivals or do I want to submit the feature to contests? And I didn't know that much. I mean, I had had people talk about the contest or I knew them like in passing from talking to other folks. But I don't know. I just felt like I think I was operating for a long time and still I have some attachment to this of this idea that it's better for people to come to you than for you to go to them in some way with your creative work. And so putting money, you know, like 50 bucks towards a competition that I might not ever hear anything from just didn't seem worth it to me. But um, the Stowe Story Labs is that I started to know some filmmakers who had been through it and had said like really positive things about the experience. So I decided to submit to that one. And when I got in, it was... I, I was kind of surprised because there had been so many rejections on the festival side and <laughs> on previous things. But it was really affirming to be able to go to this like place in Vermont, like a retreat area, and to be treated like a writer. You know, mm-hmm. I think that that sounds like a small thing, but for some reason, like maybe I just have weird self-esteem issues. But like, it did wonder to so just be like, "You're, you're a, writer. a writer." We all yeah. have those. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's like, no, you're a writer, and they didn't talk in terms of like, it's like if you're here, you're a good writer, right? And we're gonna treat you as a professional, even if we're all like working still on trying to do things and. That, that was a lot. And then meeting other writers too, like having more of a community, being so focused on the filmmaking, maybe directing side at that point, that uh, being exposed to more writers who really define themselves primarily as writers started to, they were telling me about their experiences with competitions and how they were navigating the industry. And it kind of just opened up a whole other road or avenue that I just felt like I had maybe ignored for a while. That's really cool. I guess my thing with screenwriting competitions that I struggle with as a writer outside of just like that they do cost so much is it's really hard for me to figure out what the tangible value is because with with like film festivals I can say okay you know I'm not going to get into these like 
top tier festivals that are all industry and like you know people that sort of have access already or kind of already like chosen you know because of the way the industry kind of chooses certain filmmakers every year from various access points but I can say well film festival is still going to put me in front of an audience that I wouldn't reach otherwise so it makes sense to submit to these smaller venues and these smaller places but I can't quite rationalize that with with screenwriting competitions because it's not audience focused so how do you like assess the value of a screenwriting competition when it isn't you know the Sundance Labs that's a great question and something that I I think I went through that same kind of like cost benefit analysis (laughs) in my own mind Uh, I think what started to shift was specifically the Halloween Club I think that I had been spending so much time writing it under the idea of like wanting to make something that was producible at a lower budget because there were things about cross the feature script that just made it cost more for various reasons uh and so i kind of started to look at it as you know you i didn't want to keep asking the same friends and family to read stuff and get notes you know i Mm -hmm. had done already multiple table reads but there were still some things that weren't necessarily like clicking for me about the script like I still felt like I could do more with the story but I kind of felt like I had exhausted the avenues to like get this outside perspective so initially some of the competitions I submitted to were like let me see if I can get out of my own head and let me see if I can stop bugging the same people about this and just kind of get a, a vague sense of what the outside perspective is of this story and maybe my writing and so that to me felt valuable because mm-hmm. I really wanted to keep growing and, and improving, but I wasn't quite sure how to. And so some of these, comp- like, you know, it was like looking like some of these competitions or places will give you feedback with stuff uh, that you submit. And, you know, it's not always going to be positive or, you know, maybe you don't agree with something that a reader said or whatever, but it is like, I think there's something valuable there to still have like somebody completely disconnected from you give you this like rundown of what they think the strengths and weaknesses of your story are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we actually have a question from Kevin Seafried about competitions that offer coverage or feedback for the additional price. So would you consider it worth it if it is an additional price? Do you try to only submit to places that guarantee feedback? What's your opinion on feedback and how should people kind of approach that? Yeah, I haven't paid for additional feedback. So um, I either submitted to competitions that didn't that provided it or for free, such as We Screenplay, or I submitted to ones that they just didn't. And I figured I would take the the gamble there. And I think like, I think We Screenplay offers feedback, you know, for a lot of the competitions with the blacklist, you have to get a paid evaluation. So you they kind of, you kind of have to get paid feedback, but like, sure. you know, you kind of bake that into whatever they're their fee is going to be. And then even smaller competitions or more genre specific ones like 13horror.com, like they just provided feedback. I didn't even know that they were going to, they just did. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And then Slamdance gives you some feedback, I think. just Yeah, un- they give you like a small paragraph of free feedback, but then you can pay for additional like full coverage if you want. Mm-hmm. But Jerry, you're saying that you kind of don't see the need to pay for additional s- feedback at places because there are enough places that are either have it baked in or you're going to get feedback elsewhere might as well not upsell yourself yeah i think it would be like you know with anything that costs money especially in this industry is to like really consider how much of an investment it's going to be worth it like what do you really want to get out of it if you 
have a brand new script and you don't have anybody around to give you feedback, you know, but you really want it and you want to get moving on like the next rewrite process, then I would say then that's probably worth it because you have a really targeted and specific reason for, for doing so. If you're just trying to see like what everybody in the world can possibly think of your story, I don't know how helpful that ultimately will be. And that also sounds very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also, if, if I may answer the question as well. No, please. <laughs> Um, I also don't pay for the additional feedback ever because I try to find ones that where it's included or as Jerry said, it's just not at all, but there's like something else that makes the competition worthwhile, like maybe prize money or the judges are really impressive or something. But I've had like very mixed results personally when it comes to the feedback I get for like not paying. And so I feel like you don't know who that reader is and that's reading it and you're paying for their feedback and sometimes it might not be worth it. And so I would really like be pretty angry if I had paid and it wasn't quite like up to par with what I was expecting versus like I paid for the competition to be considered and then there's like a bonus bit of feedback, you know? For yeah. instance, like with Slamdance, my my feature Silent Night, it placed in the quarterfinals in 2016 and the feedback was amazing and it was from like the first reader and I, I'm 99% sure that it was a woman and probably a woman of color because she like totally got the the themes and the commentary that I was going for but then I submitted a revision with the notes that I had gotten from that feedback implemented and then the person who read it I'm 99% sure was a white guy and I could tell that he was bothered by like certain representational things but was nitpicking at other things because he like didn't want to admit what the thing was that actually bothered him and I got a paragraph that was just like him this person I'm assuming him but maybe it wasn't but this person ranting about how like he they don't buy that a couple would go on a road trip without a an extra tire in their trunk and like and I was just like what? this is not That's useful the sticking point yeah and it's like this is not useful feedback and also like I would totally do that because I don't drive and <laughs> like I'm from and the I don't city. Think I, I, I drive too. I don't think I've ever had a spare tire in my car my entire life. I don't even know where I would put it. Tires are big. <laughs> right. I know. <laughs> you and use so, them to drive the car. <laughs> I don't understand. I know. So I didn't place that second time around. Um, and that was fine. But like it was annoying to get feedback that was focused on one detail that I feel like if you're going to, you can suspend disbelief. And that's something you can definitely suspend disbelief about. Uh, and so, Jerry, I wonder if you've had like similar experiences where you find the feedback is coming from like a really personal place or a place of bias. And if that has affected your interest in maybe submitting again or just like your decision making moving forward. Yeah, 100 percent. I think that's why I also don't pay for paid feedback, because, you know, there have been different competitions where it's the same script you know, and I've gotten wildly different responses or like a reader will pick up on something that really upsets them about it that another reader will say is a strength. Um, this whole business is so subjective about mm. these kind of things that I think, I think thinking about it now after what you said and based upon the experiences I had with like the Halloween club, some of the stuff you mentioned or the places where it placed were horror specific. I submitted to non-horror competitions, but I didn't get anywhere. 
with those. And so I also wonder if that has to do with something like a genre preference or personal taste, or even like with my short, Enseñame Como Morir or Show Me How to Die, like one draft of feedback I got was very positive and really like picked up on all these things and stuff. And then like the second version similar, I submitted and the feedback was not as as strong. And there's like the, that script is like bilingual and there's different cultural elements and things like that in it. So you just kind of don't know. You know, I wish there was a way that you could like target and be like, I really hope that a person with maybe this kind of background or knowledge of these kind of issues could read but you don't have that control. So I think right now, the way the competitions are set up is that you can kind of only target by genre at most. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or if they're like from different festivals or some of the labs, you can kind of see what kind of projects have gone through there previously. And then that can be beneficial in helping you maybe target and make better use of your money than since you can't control so many of these other variables totally yeah it's very much like our our film festivals episode where where we made the point to like you know pay attention to what's been programmed before like it, it it's not about a quality assessment it's just about like what is the vibe that this you know competition that this festival is going for and do you match that it has nothing to do with are these better than me it has to do with like is this the kind of project they seem interested in developing and rewarding and if not maybe save your 65 dollars. yeah 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 <laughs> I'm wondering if you if you like make adjustments to your script based on the competition you're submitting to especially when it comes to like cultural stuff because I recently was reading um one of the scripts that made it on the blood list last year and which is like the blacklist but for for horror stuff for anyone who's listening and um it was written by an Indian writer and it was very much about Hinduism and a lot of just like Indian culture and I was really excited to read it as someone who is half Indian and I knew exactly the things that he was referencing and so I was really annoyed personally that he would explain everything like in parentheses but I could understand if you're someone who doesn't who doesn't understand Indian culture isn't familiar with Hinduism and like the the deities and everything like that that it would maybe be like really helpful and like would add context and so I personally wrestle with is that like a good thing to do or does that kind of slow down the reading process because it slowed it down for me as someone who really didn't need the parentheses of explanation. Wow, I hadn't thought about it like that way because a lot of the scripts I I write have Spanish in them in some capacity. I will translate the Mm -hmm. the Spanish, but I kind of don't go out of my way to point out other things. I think I have sometimes have a resistance to that. Same, Um, me too, (laughs) yeah. Some things that have come up in different story elements, I sometimes wonder or think, I'm like, is there a way I can communicate this that doesn't involve like explaining? If there's just a way to like maybe take a step back or zoom out a level and see if I can find language there that will say the same thing. And whether or not doing that will like feel like I'm violating any of the core themes or intent of um, the story because I mean there are certain things in all I mean almost all the scripts that I've written that are very culturally specific that I won't change you know um, mm-hmm. and I think that that's 
one of the reasons why something like Cross didn't get money was because I wouldn't change some of those things. But like that was like a very broad note or request. It was like changing the entire race and ethnicity of a character. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. Um, That kind of defeats the purpose here. But yeah, you know, it's hard when you're dealing with layered cultural nuances. Sometimes, Sometimes it's forced me to like have to pick some of those things apart and examine them maybe because I want to communicate. You know, and at a certain level, though, I I feel like as a writer, I have to take a step back and be like, I'm communicating this as a story level as clearly as I can. If this is a hindrance for somebody or they don't even want to have a conversation about it, then, you know, going back to one of your guys' earlier episodes, like that's a red flag for me (laughs) as a collaborator. (laughs) And there's also just no accounting for people's taste. Like I remember showing Cross to an audience of people and it has to do with a Filipino-American kid who gets into backyard boxing. And they're like the opening, one of the opening scenes is like his mother is sick. And that's one of the reasons he's fighting. And his mom has all of her medication for her ailments, like on the coffee table, which I guess is like something that I see a lot in Mexican culture and connected with my friend who's Filipino-American. That's like, you just have your medicine out. It's not like hidden. It's just like part of the decor almost because you have to reach for it every day. And after the film screen, there was some guy in the audience who like brought that up like three times as something he didn't like and that took him out of the world of the film. And Hmm. me being me, I like I did spend some time like wondering, I'm like, was this a weird decision? Like, should I not have done that? And like over time, I was like, I can't control what this dude (laughs) thinks is like normal (laughs) or why he this would take him out. Uh, This is a detail in a story that's trying to be culturally specific and either the audience is going to come with you or or they're not. And I, I don't want to bend over backwards for people who probably wouldn't care in the first place. That makes sense. Yeah. I feel like also with scripts, because they're probably like reading at home, it's not like watching a film in a theater. They're probably just reading it on their laptop or something they can Google. Like Google exists. That's sort of my default when it comes to like cultural things. Like I'm going to use the word and like you can Google it if you don't know what I'm referring to. And also it probably makes sense in context. Like, yeah, you know, because I've read tons of scripts where, you know, there are references to either culturally or otherwise or just think because I'm, you know, like generally not that smart. And so like sometimes I just don't get it. Um, but usually context is helpful. And if I'm curious enough, if I if it impedes me enough, yeah, I'll go look it up. Because if I'm enjoying the script up to that point, a single word or like character details not going to throw me. Usually if a single detail or like cultural moment throws somebody, it's because they were waiting for an excuse to not like the thing because of some, you know, underlying nonsense that they've got going on. So yeah, I totally. think that makes sense as a as a rule of thumb. The script was just like excessive. It was like, oh, and he takes the dosa and then like parentheses, what's a dosa? And like he grabs some paratha and like parentheses, what's paratha? And like a lot of food stuff and then it was like explaining the gods and like all their different sort of what they represent that almost seems like directing notes like notes that you would be leaving for your director if they weren't as familiar like to make sure that the the script breakdown was accurate or something right that doesn't seem like it needs to be in the script (laughs) agree because for me it was like really what you want the reader to know is it's like Indian food you know what I mean and it's like right fine like if they don't know what those words are just like let them like replace it with like rice in their head or something but it doesn't really matter that it's those (laughs) specific items and they know exactly what dosa is so like it was an interesting choice um that made me think about that but yeah yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I think you bring up a good point, though, about how so many some because these kind con- there's a, 
quite a few competitions and there's a lot of people writing and submitting. I do wonder, I don't have any inside information on this, but sometimes I wonder if like, are they looking for something to discount you? Because mm-hmm. art is not objective, but like there are certain things or qualities or traits that these competitions are looking for. And I think that that was something I've also felt like I learned. It was like trying to calibrate some of my writing style at least to make it at least get through the first gate of the gatekeepers you know Mm -hmm. and and what those things are and it's like it's a tricky balance because you don't i don't want to write something just to like win competitions or like analyze a competition and then write something that like will be catered to that but i think there are certain boxes or traits that they are like trained to look for and if you're you're not hitting those in the first you know even 10 pages they're gonna probably pass and move you to the Mm -hmm. the uh, the rejected pile um and so it becomes this weird i guess you could try to figure out like if there's some sort of weird strategy you can develop to like find and hold on to your artistic voice but not be dismissed because of some weird formatting or formal thing that they may or be looking for. Yeah, we actually have a, another question from Kevin that's kind of related to this. Um, are there rubrics that judges follow? And what are the types of categories we should keep in mind and the specific elements that increase or lower a score? And I think the problem is, is that like, that's not public information. And all of them are going to be different. And every reader is going to have a different background. And so it, it is kind of hard to to navigate that because we have no idea what the rubric is. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. I mean, like when you get feedback from different places, some places like we screenplay or the blacklist will do things like give you a point system like based on plot character dialogue voice originality and those kind of things but those also feel like subjective you know? <laughs> like and within that there's so many variables you know two perfect mm-hmm. scripts might have totally different rankings in within those uh those different places just because of the nature of it i was just gonna say i find that screenwriting competitions tend to be real like rule sticklers in a way that film festivals aren't and so that's one thing that you really want to be on top of is to make sure that you're not like being real i feel like you know like quentin tarantino can write a bunch of like nonsense (laughs) the way he writes is very like sort of the way of consciousness exactly and i like you can't do that in a screenwriting competition it has to be pretty by the book and you have to make sure that you're following formatting rules like jerry said whereas like with a film festival you can kind of break rules and still have a film that's going to win awards i find that that's really not the case in screenwriting competitions and that they have like much stricter page minimums and maximums in a way that like film festivals don't for runtime like you can have like a really short feature and you can have I wouldn't say that you can have a long feature because festivals care more about shorter than longer. But in my experience, like you can't really have a shorter feature script. Uh, And so that's just something to be on top of with your own, like before you submit, like really proofread it. I think if I could just add to that, you kind of made me realize something that I hadn't thought of before, like the difference between film festivals or screenwriting competitions is that I really think a lot of screenwriting competitions or a lot of screenwriters, like the way this kind of system is set up is to like people are trying to prove that there's this story is worth investing in Mm. and so i think they're looking for something that can build a broad enough consensus that like this is something worth resources or attention to invest money and to you know send out to people and have people read because 
uh, a lot of people don't, especially people who actually have like gatekeeping or higher up positions, they don't want to read stuff unless they feel like it reaches that threshold versus a film festival where it's it's already done it's completed mm -hmm. it's a living finished product in some capacity that it's almost like well experience this on its own terms rather than like invest in what the potential of something might be that's a good point yeah that's interesting and that always freaks me out because i feel like even though i definitely <laughs> consider myself a writer first uh something that i i relate to jerry is that like since i've graduated from school i've been so focused on like writing producible things and then producing mm -hmm. them and like going through that sort of hamster wheel of everything which we've talked about a lot on this podcast i've stopped i've stopped making good progress on writing and i'm i'm trying to reinvest in it but it is hard to like go from i have total creative control i know what i want to do you know with the resources I have, I want to make something I'm proud of, and then having to go to, okay, how do I explain that on the page when I would normally have, you know, the art department sitting next to me yeah. as I'm finishing the script and like I'm directing it. So I know exactly how this moment is going to play. Like I, I feel like I spent so much time unlearning prose writing when I became a screenwriter and now mm -hmm. I have to kind of go back to it a little bit because like I stripped everything away from my scripts because I knew I would be executing them. So it's fine mm -hmm. if I took out all the like, I, tr I used to put uh, a section of action in between every line of dialogue because that's how you write prose you know you say like when somebody turns their head and so I was doing that for a long time and then they were like stop it so I stopped it but now I feel like I took too much out and so I'm, I'm struggling with that balance and yeah that I don't know where I'm going with this more just like that's an anxiety I have about screenwriting competitions is that I can't sit next to them and be like yeah so this is how I would do that and I don't know how to marry you know wanting to show off my intent and like a cool shot I had in in mind that I think would really lend itself to this moment and accepting the fact that this is about sort of the potential and letting somebody else sort of imprint on the script with the potential that they foresee in it. Does that make sense? A hundred percent, because I mm -hmm. think that uh, I had that same challenge because I was so used to writing things I was going to direct. So I would write like every damn detail I could think of because... Uh, something I learned was like if it's not in a script don't expect like your department heads to like know what you're talking about yeah. but uh, when writing for competitions and, and things of that nature that kind of stuff will be seen as fat that needs to be trimmed mm -hmm. and so but at the same time they want some like you got to give some specifics of what <laughs> it is to like help it seem distinct so I still feel like I'm constantly learning and going through that process of like how much of the specificity of what I'm seeing in my head belongs on a page to be consumed for like the first time by someone who's consuming dozens of scripts a week, you sure. know? And that is a constant learning process <laughs> and like editing process. I try to keep in mind if it's a detail that serves the forward momentum of the story, I will keep it in. If it's a detail that is something that I would only have a conversation with with like a production designer or a cinematographer uh, that I will exclude it. Hmm. That's a good That's a point. good rule of thumb. Do you have a separate doc for that? I'm just curious now as a fellow director. Um, you know, not yet. I've, you know, interesting in the process of working and trying to adapt it to a graphic novel, I realized how much of those ideas I retained. Because as I'm talking to the artist, I'm like, oh, and I see this, and I see this, and I see this. And I was like, had to stop and be like, I don't want to overwhelm this artist. She's amazing. But at the same time, like, none of this is in the script. So sure. I have to be... It almost seems like it's interesting in writing for comic book, 
scripts, you want to put as many of those details as you possibly can to tell the artist like what you're seeing. So all of that stuff is fair game because I've started to learn that the artist is the cinematographer, is the costume Mm -hmm. designer, is the prop master. (laughs) And so that will be helpful for them in a way that's not helpful in a screenplay for competitions, at least. Sure. I want to come back to talking about the the comic book version. Um, But I also have similar struggles Brie right now because I do I write to direct right like even though I'm I consider myself a like writer first and foremost too I want to be a writer director specifically that's what I am um and so I've been reading a lot of scripts that have placed in competitions to like try and get my mind to think in that way of like okay I can sort of if I were directing this like I, there are a bunch of details that I could add here as a director, but it's not in this script. And so I need to think about my screenplay in that way. And I've gotten, I think I've gotten better at it recently because I've submitted Silent Night to a bunch of stuff. But the thing that I've always been really stubborn about is putting the race or ethnicity of a character in the description because... I remember in college, a screenwriting professor told me that the default is white. So like, you don't have to say when someone is white. And I was like, fuck that. Like, I'm not going to say what anyone is then. And like, and then make you, <laughs> and then like, but their their name is going to be like a specific, you know, last name that makes, like, makes you understand what they are without me telling you that. And like, I'm going to make you retrain your default. But at a certain point, I was just like being stubborn and I had to just give in and be like, okay, fine. Like Marcus is black and Vidya is South Asian, like in, in the latest version of Silent Night, because I was just sort of like screwing myself ultimately by not telling you. Um, and then I just sort of was like, okay, and all the white characters are going to be labeled as white and that's sort of my compromise. But yeah, that that's just something I think takes time and reading other scripts that have placed is a good way, I think, to get yourself in that new frame of thinking about writing totally yeah i do think just on the the white tag because i i got that note too in in college and grad school and also thought that that was bullshit but something else that i learned is that they mention if you don't explicitly call it out uh especially if you are not attached to like the production people will the default will be white and so if you don't say like this person is this i also learned it in context of gender where when you're doing um a like a crowd scene or something you have to Mm -hmm. specifically say say that the crowd is like half male half female or like whatever combination of people you want it to be like the crowd is mostly women or something like that because otherwise um they will default to making the crowd almost exclusively men and fun fact you guys probably know this but maybe some of our listeners don't there was a study that they did where and i don't remember the exact numbers at this point i'll try to track it down for our Substack. but there was the study that they did on the perception of gender equality on film and they did like they showed respondents of this study um just like a crowd of people that was seemingly you know a bunch of different genders and people perceived um, a like 30% female, 50% or uh, 70% male crowd as 50-50. They, they thought that there were more women than there mm-hmm. actually were. Um, but point being, people will see a crowd that is like literally 50% women and they're like, oh, there's too many women. That must be like 80% women. It's so ingrained that we just don't see women. <laughs> so like that's, that's something that I've been trying to do. I don't write crowd scenes anymore because I'm writing to produce. You can't have a crowd Right, exactly. But yeah. theoretically, if I ever had a crowd again, I like I always 
make sure to mention like the crowd is half men, half women, or like whatever you right. know breakdown I want to be. I just thought that was an interesting thing that is so depressing that it's it is it's assumed. <laughs> it is depressing. I think it was the Gina Davis Institute that, that did that those sounds studies. Right. Uh, that's why it's like I always write to direct. Th- so in my mind, like I'm gonna have the control. To, to do sure. whatever the hell I want so I don't have to put it in here and that's the thing that's like retraining and relinquishing control and like if I'm giving this to someone else even though I don't actually want to but like theoretically <laughs> or theoretically if I were would I feel like they have the details they need to bring that to the screen and and so those are like the compromises I've had to make with myself as a writer to like let go of my director hat and, yeah, and write with that in mind. Uh, so let's let's take a step back. Let's go back to the macro of like people are looking to submit to screenwriting competitions. So obviously we've all made mentions of like it's really expensive. So with that in mind, um, a question from Selenia Lugo is how do you suss out the fake screenwriting competitions? Are there some that you just feel aren't worth the effort or worth the money? I think for me now looking at it, because I did submit to quite a decent amount. I forget the exact number. I posted it on Twitter when I was like doing a year end like rundown, but uh, I was trying to figure out, you know, I just was trying to get a sense of the landscape. And most of the ones I submitted to were ones I had heard from other writers, you know, like, or that I saw had a social media presence that was active and engaging with communities of writers because that put them more on my radar and made me feel like, okay, it's not just some random people I don't know taking my money and who knows what they're going to do uh, uh, or what they're going to think uh, in terms of my my story. Uh, I I would say, but now having gone through that experience, my learning is that if I'm writing something that's genre specific, I'm going to target those first. And I'm going to target ones that seem to have produced something tangible for other writers. Um, and so, yeah, like, you know, this new script I'm working on called like Beneath Broadway, like if I have a version, I might submit to some horror competitions, but I, I don't think I'm going to be sending it to like any general competitions. You know, I, I've been encouraged by how people have been sharing more uh, uh, in some capacity in writing. I know that there was some hubbub on Twitter about like the Austin Film Festival this past year and the weird feedback that they got. And I did submit um, and, you know, I'll be frank, like Austin Film Festival, I've never placed and I've submitted a few different stories there. Whatever it is, it's just like not clicking, whatever that system is. So it was a little bit validating when other people were sharing their feedback and were like, (laughs) did they even read my script? And I was like, I don't know. It made the sting of rejection a little bit (laughs) bit less. But I also know there's a lot of writers who have gotten opportunities from from Austin. Um, And that's kind of the curse of some of these things is that you never know who is going to connect with your work and and what institution they're going to be at. I think similar to what you were saying about festivals, like seeing what has won, what have they rewarded, and maybe even looking at what are those writers doing now? Mm -hmm. Are are they doing things that you are interested in? Are they having a career that you want to be, uh, like, mimic in some capacity? And uh, if not, then, like, coming back to, like, okay, well, then do I want to spend that $50 on that? Mm -hmm. I, um also have been working backwards recently, like looking at writers who have gotten staffed on things that I would theoretically be interested in writing on and then looking at like what their past writing history looks like, what what contests have they won, competitions have they won or placed in, um, because I think that that can also 
be a good way instead of like starting with the competition and moving forward to see who the filmmakers are you can start with or rather a writer you can start with the writers and and move backwards Mm -hmm. and I think that's another value of some of these competitions for example is that they certain ones that are valued in the industry you know that um they kind of act as the first round of gatekeepers for some folks so Mm -hmm. say if you are trying to get something directed or you're trying to get yourself repped or something um the fact that these larger competitions felt like oh this script was good enough to place x you know that it's like maybe this person's worth having uh, a conversation with or maybe it's worth having my assistant (laughs) read this (laughs) script rather than coming out of the blue because unless you have those existing relationships or connections it's just another thing you can try to do to like make yourself stand out in in some capacity yeah i mean i think that outside of insane viral success screenwriting competitions to me seem like the only real linear path to theoretically making it as a you know paid writer as paid screenwriter like i don't i can't think of any other path like i guess guess you could go the pa path but it's really hard to get office pa gigs and Mm -hmm. even if you do it's not guaranteed so it sort of feels like unless you start on the pa path and get into the office as early as possible screenwriting competitions are really the only way that you can get in that you can quote unquote break in like i there that doesn't exist elsewhere and not even just the office it would be like getting it become the writer's pa because Mm -hmm. Right. One of my first gigs was as an office PA and I I had that kind of mentality and like what I started to see was like, oh, doing well at this job means becoming a production coordinator and yep. then a UPM, <laughs> not a writer. You have to be the writer's PA to hope that you can get an opportunity within the writer's room and like, and then the further amount of time you spend in one department and if you become promoted, then it's almost like virtually impossible to like jump departments and like Mm -hmm. have it be at the same level you have to go back down to the bottom and like uh the pa salary is not really super sustainable for a long time yeah (laughs) there there was a a good thread from pay up hollywood about that that they did a study on like the unlivable wage that hollywood support staff is being paid it's it's really bad but yeah it's the same thing with like being trying to be a director you really don't have a path to directing unless you spend like 10 years as a pa working your way up to ad and then having enough direct like staying on a tv show long enough that they're like, sure, we'll give the AD an episode, you know, and even then it's not guaranteed. Like you become a director by directing independent films and, you know, finally figuring your way in or by getting into the writer's room and saying, I want to direct my episode. It's just like, there's no way within the system to meaningfully make progress. And I feel like people that listen to our podcast and certainly like the three of us, I would assume none of us really want to start over from like set PA. Yeah. (laughs) Or uh, even if we could get into the office PA, like we're not assistants. We've all run our own games. We've all like placed at festivals and screenwriting competitions. And it's also not like a guaranteed path. It's one thing if Mm -hmm. it were like you do you like you pay your dues and then you do get a shot. But really, it's like you could end up stuck there for years. And these people that are, you know, the nephews of executives are just kind of being given opportunities or people who are able to make these lateral moves, but they're coming from places of privilege and access that that the people who are starting from the bottom are not 
And I think that like I mean, the same maybe, could be said about cr- screenwriting competitions, though, and that's the <laughs> t- most terrifying part of all of this. For sure. I mean, what I do like about screenwriting competitions, even though you don't know if it's for real, is a lot of them like don't want your name on the script so that there isn't a level of bias. Like the male reader maybe doesn't know that this is written by a woman or a woman of color. Uh, and they don't know that this person maybe is like the son of someone famous, you know, but who knows if that's like <laughs> all legit. <laughs> it's hard to really say. Sure. But I do feel there's like a little bit of your work in and of itself might stand out on its own feet, you know, without these other points of of privilege and access playing a role or lack thereof preventing you from making it through. I mean, the cost itself is kind of the class barrier for a lot of streaming competitions, though. (laughs) Especially when you're starting out. You need to submit to kind of learn the game, but, like, Mm -hmm. that's an initial investment that then you have to pile on top of once you're, like, more serious and, like... No, yeah, I mean, financial access is a huge thing um, for it, but I think another, another, I guess, perk or benefit of it, similar to what you were saying, is, like, the ability to introduce or stake your claim as the thing that you actually want to be Hmm. because one of the main reasons that i mean i graduated from college financial recession like had like part-time jobs unpaid internships like multiple ones you know then this before obamacare even passed i was like also i just got a ba but then was also like enrolled in community college classes so i could stay on my parents health insurance uh (laughs) And I got like an office PA gig um, and then like a visual effects PA gig. And, you know, I started to see what you're saying where it's like, I am working 60 hour weeks, you know, six or seven days a week. um, And there is no guarantee that I will ever get to do the thing that I want if I Mm -hmm. stay on this path. There's maybe this opportunity might open up or maybe I'll meet somebody who will see me more as just a PA um but even within those things like i had great bosses when i was an office pa and they were like talking about making me like an assistant production coordinator and it was like but i don't want that you know (laughs) or working in visual starting off as a visual effects pa and then suddenly i was made in charge of like um asset management where i was organizing the visual effects server which is like a very like technical job and it's like i don't want this Mm -hmm. either and so I like stepped away from working on making that like my sole thing because I wasn't making enough money at the same time. And I also had like no time or effort for my own creative stuff where, yes, competitions are expensive and they add up in different ways. But at least then when you place or get something from there, it's like I did this as a writer. I didn't get promoted in a job that's tangentially tangentially connected to the industry. It's like this is my artistic voice that's being acknowledged right. in some capacity and that has felt more like progress to me than just like I'm on the studio lot making coffee and copies. Mm -hmm. That's a really good way of thinking about it. Totally. Jerry and I have both complained on Twitter when it's like this director who made, who wrote and directed this like wonderful film that got into these festivals and they're now getting sort of a doorway into the industry. But then that gives them the option of like making another remake or a sequel to a franchise. And it's like the voice that 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 wrote that script and that directed that film is now just like being put into assembly line. I'm curious 
is like is that sort of what led you to want to dive into comic books is to sort of like take Mm. your writing and find a new outlet or like a new way of reaching an audience and follow-up question what does that mean for the feature version (laughs) <laughs> are you do you still have like your hopes of directing that film yeah i would say that um the kind of the weird idea the way that it came about the comic book thing kind of is your fault christina because initially <laughs> <laughs> when i did a table read for the halloween club earlier this year it was not too long after the lockdown happened and what uh you asked me was like if i had ever considered doing it as like a podcast and i like hadn't really thought of that before but what i came down on was like i am a very visual thinker Mm -hmm. and so um i really like photography like still photography and one of my favorite points of collaboration on filmmaking is with the cinematographer in terms of how to tell the visual language and often when I get ideas it'll be like an image in my head and that's like the first thing and then everything else kind of comes out from that so a podcast didn't feel like it was a natural fit for the way my creative energies work but then after talking to you I was talking to another like one of my best friends who I grew up with and he had started getting involved in comics and like doing just like he was doing like web comics and entries into anthologies Um, and I was a comic book fan you know, initially as a kid as superheroes, but then in college I was reading a lot of like indie comics. Um, and I was like, oh, this feels like more of the marriage of um, image and text, you know, as a writer. Uh, and then also like, it's been a long time since I've had a completed like work that I can like share with the world. Like a mm-hmm. script, even if it wins competitions, like is not viewed as a completed work. Mm-hmm. It's not completed until it's a movie. Um, and while I've focused a lot on writing or doing, using, trying to strengthen my director skills and other capacity with directing theater or music videos or branded content, I didn't have anything of my own that I had made in like since 2015. So 2020 initially was going to be like, I need to make more directing samples. But, you know, pandemic happens, <laughs> still yeah. working on indie budgets. <laughs> not really worth it to me um, to try to squeeze money and not be able to guarantee people's safety. So I was trying to think of, you know, a comic book suddenly started to feel much more attractive in a way because I could marry my visual and, you know, writing sensibilities while also having something complete. Like here is a whole story that people won't look at it and be like, this should really be something else. Mm -hmm. Or like um, it's all like, it's like, you know, 20% of the way to a finished product or something. Um, So that's ultimately why I turned to it. And I found it very rewarding thus far. You know, I mean, I'm still in the process of building the pitch document, which is like a whole other world. I'm like learning this whole other world. It also seems a lot more straightforward than filmmaking. Like publishers actually have uh, a place on their website that's like, this is how you submit to us. And this is how the guidelines and this Mm -hmm. is the formatting that we want. And I'm like, this is allowed in the arts? Like, I thought it was just supposed to be, like, some mystery box that I had to figure out. <laughs> because I remember for a year you, like, were trying to find funding and produ- mm. and a producer for Halloween Club. So it's, like, a very different kind of way of getting a project off the ground, it seems. Yeah, and I have had conversations with producers, you know, and have, like, started to build, like, a little bit of a team of, like, boosters and supporters and stuff who are looking at different opportunities. 
at the same time that I've been building the comic book because often um, one of the producers I've been speaking to uh, has told me in conversations as he's like trying to talk to investors or production company people is that being a first time feature director, which is something I still would be, is always a hurdle. So having some sort of like completed visual example of what I'm seeing in my head Mm. um, will only be beneficial. So like the plan is like I still plan and intend to make this movie happen. Um, It just also feels like the comic book can also um, like be in assistance of that, but also kind of satisfy these other creative itches that I haven't (laughs) been able to scratch for for years. Um, partly due to circumstances of just my personal life and also like the global circumstances mm-hmm, of the sure. world. Yeah, I mean, I love I love everything that I've seen visually that you've sent me, so I'm excited for it. Yeah, I'm happy to to shout out my the artist. You know, was um, her name is Anastasia Langoria, who I just found or uh, my partner found on Twitter and sent me her portfolio and I I was just like cold emailing different artists and a few responded and um, commissioned some sample work from a couple of them and then uh, Anastasia has just been uh, really just a powerful collaborator in bringing things to the story like all this nuance that you feel like sometimes is missing in a script that you can then like put back into the comic book has been really creatively fulfilling. That's awesome. Um, so let's let's kind of move back to screenwriting competitions. I know we're at an hour now, so I want to be conscious of your time, Jerry. So uh, something that we haven't actually talked about at all yet, we've talked a lot about like the screenplay itself, but what about the personal statement? The personal statement is something that's on most screenwriting competitions, not all of them, but it, especially for like lab applications, things like that. Um, how do you tend to approach that? Both of you, I guess, would be the question, because I always approach it as, oh, shit, I have to do this. Um, my name is Bree. I want to <laughs> write for a TV. Bye. Uh, so I'm curious <laughs> what somebody with a little more forethought does. I really think they are looking to try to get a sense of who, your, what your voice is as a writer that hopefully will connect to your writing. I think if those things are disconnected, then they don't know who you are and maybe feel like you have an identity crisis and they don't want to like accept you into them. So, I mean, it's tough. I think that I've, you know, from speaking to different friends or people or having different work, like people like Christina or my partner, Lola, or my friend like Chance and like other people who I've known who can tell me um, these are things that I see in your work, you know, Um, and uh, what are those like through threads? Like what is it that's motivating you to be a storyteller and why is what you're saying like different and like have it actually feel unique and and personal to your um, lived in experience. And, and it sometimes feels like I'm rewriting like if I were to be doing college application essays again, like that's kind of like <laughs> I was the thinking sense, about like, the, the set today. <laughs> yeah, it's like you don't know who I am, but I have to like sell you on me and tell you a little bit about who I am and my background and why I'm motivated to tell stories and what is it about these stories that can identify you? Because I think that's what the industry really wants for better or for worse. You know, I think some artists 
have become so familiar that they become a brand that becomes mocked, whether it's Wes Anderson or like Tim Burton or, or like, you mm-hmm. know, like you say those names and you know the brand. Sure. But that's also partly why they were successful. So like, what is your, you know, I hate thinking of art in this way, but like, it's also a business. And so it's like, what is your brand as a storyteller? Mm-hmm. Um, but also letting them know that you're a human being. that you're not just a brand (laughs) the thing i find a little frustrating about the personal statements is i find a lot of the time like especially from feedback i've gotten or the people i've seen that have gotten into like the bigger the bigger ones is it's sort of like you're supposed to put your trauma on the page and like if you're not if you're not doing that they just don't have an interest in you and so it is like and as a, if you're a person of color, or if you're a queer individual or someone who has like real, very tangible trauma and like the people reading are so often white, straight, cis men, not mm-hmm. always the case, but often are the case, there is this idea of like having to sort of parade around your trauma for, for them to like feel like they're checking a box. Um, and that's something that I wrestle with a little bit with the personal statements of like how to find a balance there that doesn't feel like I'm exploiting yourself. Yeah, exactly. No, that is tough. I think um, I've gone through that myself where it's like I don't want I had that with actually I had that with my college applications. Even I I remember having an experience where my English teacher who was like kind of helping a small group of us kind of encouraged me to like you need to like amp this part up of Mm -hmm. your personal story because this is what colleges want and i was kind of resistant but i gave in and it was a weird experience because like i got into a bunch of colleges Mm -hmm. like and i think it was partly because of that essay um but what i've tried to do since then you know for a long time i was completely resistant against it and like i'm like i'm not gonna like i don't want to play that card you Mm -hmm. know (laughs) um in any sort of way but maybe it's just like lots of years of therapy or lots of rejections at the same time. <laughs> but there are certain things in my life that I really do think are responsible for why I am the way I am mm-hmm. and why right. I tell the stories that I want to tell. So if I can write something that I can read back and be like, this is just honest and it's honest to me and I like feel comfortable in that then i'm okay with that but i'm not i don't want to go into like trauma porn or Mm -hmm. like re-victimizing myself and also like sure like i'm mexican-american or grew up not very having a lot of like money or wealth or in that but i've had a lot of other privileges and stuff too and so how do these different things you know still intersect and and influence who who I am so it's it's tough it's like trying to it's like the process of like trying to be honest about who you are um with yourself and then with some stranger you don't know who's going uh uh, to read it so I don't know how you do that unless you're like super self-aware or have also (laughs) gone through therapy (laughs) right right I think also like you said asking people is helpful something that I try to think of it as is like 
I don't know if you guys have ever watched American Idol, but like it is famous for like really overblowing a lot of like the participants sort of backstory. Like they always try to find like the Mm -hmm. one tragic thing. And I like that's not kind of how I'm comparing it to it. But I I think that they're, you know, the the impulse of that is there needs to be a story. It can't just be this person's a good singer because that's, you know that's not compelling. And so I try to think about it in terms of like, I I can't just be a good writer. Like that's not a thing, Mm -hmm. especially with so many people who are great writers. Like what sets me apart? What sets you apart? And what sets you apart in in terms of like this story, like trying to take out the threads of your personal life that explain sort of separately why you decided to write this thing. Um, And I still have trouble with that. Like even intellectualizing it like that doesn't (laughs) help when it's like, it's a story about a ghost roommate. I thought it would be funny. (laughs) Right. I think that's the hard part with genre because with drama, it's like, it is kind of like one-to-one where it's like, oh, I'm making a film about, you know, like the struggle to get an abortion in a Southern state. And it's like, because mm-hmm. I really had to do that, you know, versus... Yeah, or it's an I'm allegory making a monster for movie, Right, <laughs> like, and I just, it's fun, but also there are these themes. And so, like you said, I try to find the, the parallels of themes. Like, what are the themes I'm exploring here and where are those in my life? And, and intellectually, I think it's easy easier, you know, said than done. But that's, sure. that's where I try to focus it on is very theme oriented. And like, what are the specific choices that are very unique to me that I've made that I can create a story around about me? Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely think there's something that to be said of what people mention about submitting to the same things multiple times for these people to see your growth, and mm. maybe get to know you. Um, but like, I've, been accepted as a writing fellow for Film Independence Project Involve. And, oh, cool. Congrats. Um, just started, thank you. I've just started that program this month. And this was my third time applying after being rejected multiple times and like having met with the program director and having crewed on Project Involve shorts and things like that. But, um, and I submitted before as a writer director. I wasn't even going to maybe submit this year until my partner was like, you should submit as a writer because that's what you've been focused on and that's what you've been finding a lot of joy doing. So it was like, oh my God, like it was, it, it, I, I like knew that because other people had told me that like they do want to see your progress. They do want to see the way that you move along on things. But uh, it definitely felt fundamentally true because when I was interviewed for Project Involve, like he, the project director was familiar with my previous work. They definitely asked me why I was submitting as a writer. Mm. Um, and... Uh, wanted to get to know more about some of the personal connections that I had talked about uh, in that in that statement. So uh, I would, you know, I think continuing to work on that, I think each time kind of helps you further harness your voice and kind of understand maybe what is the thing that makes you unique. Because I mean, I don't, even though I've written personal statements for things and stuff like that, like I still don't know if I can so succinctly distill it down it's like really hard (laughs) (laughs) but um there are enough things that repeat that it's like well at least lean into to those things sure what are other things that you great advice uh Yes, it definitely is. And, and and with that, I wanted to, to explore, like, what are the other things that tend to be accompanying scripts that you that either of you have, like, 
run into. Like I saw the HBO fellowship um, for this year has a question about like, what's a current TV show that you're really enjoying and like why, but have you seen other like prompts and things and how have you approached those? I definitely was asked in the film independent interview was um, what was something recent that you saw that you wish you had made? Mm -hmm. You know, they want to make sure that you like are a fan of this stuff and somewhat of a fan of things that are current because these are like the, who could potentially be your peers or like collaborators or mentors in some capacity. Um, So that's something that's, that's definitely come up multiple times. Can I ask what you said? (laughs) What did you say? Yeah, I actually, I, it was weird. I didn't expect it. And so um, what I actually came down upon was um, the recent Watchmen series on oh, yes. HBO because uh, it just felt like something, maybe it's because of the comic book stuff, but even before I even really made that decision, but just like this marriage of genre and social critique mm-hmm. to build an imagined world that like also revealed a lot of truths about our current world uh, was... Like, that's what I hope that, like, my work can do, you know? Still so rooted in character. Like, there are some heart-wrenching episodes about individuals, but there's so much social and political contextual play while still being superheroes. (laughs) Yeah, that's the one superhero thing that I personally really loved. (laughs) So, (laughs) what was the question? Things that have accompanied screenwriting yeah, other um, other things that you have to prepare like other pieces of the applications so that you've seen other question prompts other i know a couple bigger ones will ask for letters of recommendation so that's something to maybe be aware of ahead of time who do you reach seen... out to for those because it's been a while since all of us have been in school so it's not I mean, maybe as obvious to just grab like a professor's recommendation i was really thinking about that i have no idea for uh there's one that i'd have to think about that there was one (laughs) i was thinking of submitting to and i was like well i won't make the deadline if i have to get a letter of recommendation because i don't know who to ask so i just did we might have been looking at the same one because i because i saw that recently and i was like yeah i have nobody there's no way (laughs) okay which one was it i don't remember it was one of the fellowships though i think yeah it was a fellowship Mm. it might have been the wb one i know a lot of people move laterally within those fellowships too like they go from one to the other to the other you do Um, the fellow the fellowship circuit yeah, which feels like a circuit that's like also just even just getting one, but then mm-hmm. hopefully if you get one, you can like move within uh, those well, ones and stuff. The thing about that though is, I mean, like I was in the the Artist Academy, you know, for the New York Film Festival, which I recommended Jerry for, and he was in the year after me. But the the people that I was in that with, lovely people. A lot of them were like perpetual academics but also aspiring filmmakers in that they were just like constantly either in some sort of study program or in a fellowship. And they were like, I'm just gonna apply for this thing that'll you know, let me stay here and write for six months or I'm gonna do this. And it's another fellowship where like, there's no money, but I get to just focus on this one project for this period of time. And I was just sitting there kind of like, what the hell do you all do for for work? Like, how do you pay your bills? And a lot of it, <laughs> and a lot of it was just like, well, my parents support me. And some of them were younger, for sure, like fresh out of college. But a lot of them were my age. A lot of them were like, you know, 30 or early 30s. And it was just like, okay, well, you, okay, so you have like family supporting you. So you can just like jump from fellowship to fellowship to fellowship until you like get that funding to make that big thing but 
you're not necessarily like trying to find sustainability to pay your bills you're trying to just like break in and keep making like dream projects because you have a cushion and so I think that that's the other thing that's like frustrating about fellowships in general is that you have to be able to take time off of work because they're not like paying you or if they are paying you it's like a stipend that's barely anything and and like I had a friend and a lot of them do have a location that you have to be at like it's not like you can do it remotely like I have a friend who um, is from Canada and she got into the Canadian TV writing thing. It's like the equivalent of like an HBO, but over in Canada. And her husband is a US citizen and he's like an investment banker or something like that. And so she had like quit her job recently and was focused just on writing. And this was a six month fellowship where they would shadow a showrunner and then get to do their own pilot presentations at the end that the, that the network would produce. And she was like, I worked out a deal with him because they're not paying me anything. Well, they were paying her something. I can't remember how much it was, but it was very little. And she was like, he's going to pay all of our expenses here at home. And I'm just going to pay for like my food and stuff over there. But he's also going to help me with rent over there. And I was like, how is the average person who wants to pursue this going to be able to do that? You know, and so it's like even to be able to say yes to some of these things, you have to be in such a position of privilege. And I speak that as someone who probably could. I mean, I don't think Justin could pay for my rent in Toronto, but he most (laughs) definitely could afford to pay for our rent by himself. And like I could take the time to do something like that. So like I say that as someone who is in that like bracket of privilege potentially that it just like Mm. it's so impossible for some people that are just nowhere near being able to say yes and take that time. I think that the industry presents you a lot of, maybe it's our society, because the US specifically, because there's not like government support, but it's like, do you want a career in the arts or do you want stability? Basic quality of life. Yeah, because you really like, you can't have both. And that is a real problem that keeps out so many people. You know, there have been plenty of times where I'm like, if it wasn't for, I mean, you want to go back to the about screenwriting competition like any win is like enough for me to just be like okay so maybe I shouldn't give up yet you know because <laughs> sometimes there are those thoughts I mean, as I get older and as like maybe not enough things have happened in the way that I thought that they should happen that it's like well maybe it's like time to like wake up and like go do something else in, in a different capacity but uh I will say like having gone to some of these things what you're 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 so right Christina that sometimes like and you have these conversations whether at Artist Academy or even Stowe Story Labs you learn that either people are older there are a lot of writers in the Stowe Story Labs who were like had already had one career mm-hmm. and like had now chosen to try to do writing you know um or had already found a work-life balance with this other career that they could commit to then writing um as well or they had some sort of system of support that allowed them to do the thing that they were gonna do Mm -hmm. um like you know in terms of just focused on the creativity aspect of it because i also think there's just so much fear in the industry too that like once the industry starts to accept you in one way like you do not want them to know that you ever like accepted yourself as something else because (laughs) you're worried that they'll accept you or see you as i don't it's really it's really strange and so um it's like i hope that like kind of being able it's it's worth having these honest conversations um but to also just like be forgiving of yourself when you can that like it's not like it's easy Mm -hmm. you know and if people are saying it's easy then 
I, I don't believe them <laughs> or there's something about. <laughs> or their circumstances are very right. different. Yes, yes. It was easy for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I definitely feel like I've tried as many different things as I could that were within the resources that I had. Um, and, you know, like, they don't, not most of them haven't always worked out exactly the way that I thought. But there's learning that happens and maybe enough of a win that I'll keep trying. Yeah. Every win's a little bit more gas in the tank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I have two more questions. One is a listener question, and one is something that I've just been noodling on as we've been talking. So the noodling question. Um, there's obviously a, a bunch of different sort of categories of screenwriting competitions. There's just straight up competitions. You win a prize, that's it. There's labs, and then there's also fellowships. And we've kind of talked through all three of them. But can we like, for our listeners, maybe boil down what the difference is in each of them and like why you would submit to one type of competition over another. So like screenwriting competition is pretty straightforward. You usually get money uh, or you have something that you can add to your Twitter bio. Um, Sometimes you get meetings out of screenwriting competitions, but it's slightly rarer. Is that true? Um, I think it depends on the competition. Some are more like how they advertise themselves. So like someone like Roadmap Writers is very out in the open about like trying to find writers representation. Um, Whereas like the emerging screenwriters competition was like about winning a cash prize, you know, and like getting Mm -hmm. sort of like other perks. So competitions will usually, because they're a competition, there has to be like something singular that you will win and get. Um, And that's really hard. I mean, placing is a challenge, can be a challenge of its own, but uh, actually winning is like all not only is your script good, but like all of the stars had to have like aligned in your favor. <laughs> yeah, but semifinalists don't. Do you tend to get stuff to be like a semifinalist or a finalist? Like, is there like a third place prize that you get, or is it more just the cachet of being able to say that you were a semifinalist? Uh, some competitions give you stuff as being a finalist, or if you mm-hmm. rank in a particular way. So, like roadmap writers for. My short for placing the top 25, we got a group of us got like a free pitching Zoom session with a working manager uh, where they like looked at our top sheet of projects and like just had a conversation with us and kind of told us which things sounded interesting to us. Um, Emerging screenwriters got me like a free for being a finalist with the Halloween Club in the horror section. I got like a free uh, like three month membership to ISA. Um, there's going to be like a Zoom screenwriting lecture that's free on Zoom for, for us to attend as well. Um, they gave me like a little like certificate, digital certificate with laurels and things like that. So some of them have like little things to get for, for finalists. Um, f- semi-finalists, I haven't really seen yeah. any like prizes and stuff for. Sure. Usually it's, usually it is just finalists, if anything, or the, if it's cash, they'll be like first prize, second prize, third prize. Sure. Makes sense. All right. So what about labs? Because labs and fellowships are similar but different. So like, how do you define a lab and why you might want to go for those sorts of competitions? Uh, Labs are really looking at a specific project that you are trying to develop and get made, whether it's like one feature, one documentary, one series. Um, And kind of everything is set up for to like work through that so at still with cross it was a lot of pitching sessions with different people in the industry with cross the feature script and so it was really so even though i was a writer who wrote other things like i got in with that project so that was the focus of conversation in 
all of like the meetings and, and, and things that I did. Um, fellowships seem like film independent project involve are more, they seem to be much more like career focused. So mm-hmm. like, who are you as a creator? You know, maybe you submit a couple things that they like that you get specifically in, but they're not trying to help you make that individual project. They're trying, I guess they're kind of investing in you and hoping yeah. to try to move you along. Um, in your career yeah like if you get into Sundance Labs usually then you if you're like a writer director you would get introduced to a producer who was in their producer lab or or someone who's like an alum it's a lot of introducing you to the people that will get this one project off the ground as Jerry said whereas a fellowship is like getting you an agent getting you a, a manager and trying to get you staffed or something that's very you and your overall career oriented um, yeah, but even even with a fellowship, you would probably have to submit like one core writing sample the way you would mm-hmm. with a lab. And a lot of fellowships, especially in the TV world, still require specs. They, more and more of them are dropping that. Like I think Disney was one of the first ones to like fully drop the need for a spec. I think you can submit one, but they prefer to have two original pieces. But that's definitely something for our TV writer people to think about. Um, so final question that I had just from Twitter, uh, Ben Myers on Twitter, who asked it like literally as we were starting recording, um, he, <laughs> he asks, how can you use screenwriting competitions to leverage and publicize for a festival run for a completed film if it's in post-production, for example? Has that been something either of you have done is like try to bolster up the completed film by kind of retroactively submitting the screenplay to competitions? I have not done that because I haven't made a feature yet. I would use... With Cross, I had the short, and then I would sometimes use the fact that I had been in a lab with the feature script or, like, place in, the like, the Latino screen f- uh, writing uh, program, like, as, uh, like, leverage to, like, get a conversation moving further along, maybe. But uh, I haven't tried to do any, like, reverse engineering thing like that. I haven't submitted after the fact, but I have used, like, old feedback from the screenplay version when we submitted to to screenwriting competitions to then like market the film with quotes and stuff before we had any actual feedback on the film itself if that makes sense Mm. so it was like leveraging uh, because it, it you know doubles the number of places that you can theoretically submit to if you have that money um, and you know you're looking to get notoriety for the screenplay itself it might be helpful to kind of have two paths like find the film some some audiences but also try to get some accolades for the script specifically I did that with yeah. Ace and Anxious as I kind of split it half and half between submitting the, the script to that and submitting the film itself um, and so like our award wins are kind of a combination of stuff that the screenplay got separately and stuff that the completed film got because it's very much something that I intended to be a showcasing of my writing skills but I have never finished a film and then gone back for the express purpose of promoting but I could see how that would make sense theoretically yeah yeah that's an interesting point it is I always feel like when the film is made for me it like, just feels like that's it's done, done. <laughs> you yeah, know it's, it's almost like time for me to move on mm-hmm. so i don't like i haven't right. like thought backwards i'm looking at what's the next thing i want to write or what the next thing i want to make is and i also don't feel like most people recognize screenplay competitions the same way that like audiences recognize film festivals so like being mm-hmm. able to say that you won a screenplay it has to have like a goal in mind like is there prize money that'll help you finish the film or like market the film or 
is it going to maybe introduce you to the right kind of people that you could show the finished film to to distribute it or something because I don't I don't quite see like it wouldn't have an audience it wouldn't draw mm-hmm. an audiences is the point it really it wouldn't um but it may give you good like pull quotes <laughs> to say mm-hmm. about the characters mm-hmm. or the story or something um but, but for so that me, you don't I need would, to wait till the film's done for that you can right, have been exactly. doing it the whole time <laughs> And for me, as Jerry said, like, when I've made the film, I'm sort of done with it. And so unless the <laughs> script is, like, so different because I changed it drastically that I feel like I want the, like, original thing it intended to be to get some kind of attention, I just feel like emotionally I wouldn't feel compelled to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Well, I don't have any other questions. Jerry uh, or Christina, do you guys have any final thoughts on screenwriting competitions, practical takeaways, tips and tricks, random things that have worked for you over the the years that you want to impart on our listeners before we close out the last thing i'll say is just read scripts like read as many as possible especially if you can get your hands on the winning ones some of them will actually have them available for you to download or if they don't have that they will have like contact information for the writers so you can reach out to them if you're interested in reading it and some writers maybe wouldn't want you to unless you're like an industry person but i think a lot of writers are always happy they, if you don't seem like a weirdo who's like coming out of nowhere, I think they're always happy to get more peer feedback. Yeah, I guess the only thing I would say is like similar to what I know you guys had mentioned, talked about during in the festival world. I think the more specific you can be about what you want to get out of something, the more it's going to make the decision making process easier. And so if you can't come up with that specific thing, then um i would try to think about why that's the case or what are a few specific things like how how more defined can you make it because i found that the more specific i can be with even asking for advice or questions the more kind of help i'm able to get if it's like too general or too open people i think people assume that if you don't have specific questions that you haven't done enough on your own yet so the more you can get specific drill down into something um, I think increases the likelihood that you'll be able to move closer towards that goal in a meaningful way. Yeah, that's great. I think that people tend to want to just be spoon fed. Like these are the five places you should submit. If you don't get in, r- r- submit to the five places again next year. And like mm-hmm. that doesn't exist mm-hmm. in the same way that it's like, how do I make a crowdfunding campaign so that I make a lot of money? Yeah. Or like, how do I write a script so that screenwriting competitions like it like there's no one way to do any of this and there's no one screenwriting competition that would be perfect for everyone like it it's easy to google like what are screenwriting competitions like a list of screenwriting competitions there's a million different spreadsheets out there we will probably make Mm. our own for this episode (laughs) but like those are easy to find like researching is easy now the narrowing down of like why would i submit to this one over another requires a lot more introspection that i think that everyone and certainly myself need to do what is the purpose of this do you want the validation do you want the money do you want the meetings do you want the like forward momentum do you want to make the thing do you want to just get attention for it to make a different thing what is the point and find a festival find a competition that aligns with that otherwise you know no amount of making a perfect personal statement is going to matter yeah and one thing i would add is just to say and no matter what you're building to whether you're submitting to a fellowship competition or lab also what are you doing for that project if you don't get that Mm -hmm. because so many of them 
look at your growth or you apply multiple times or whatever. Um, you know, I think you just this it, industry as a whole like requires you to make contingencies and people are looking at you and trying to how are you moving forward with or without external validation. I think that's, that's great. very, very good. <laughs> good reminder <laughs> for people. <laughs> I need it too. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Jerry, for joining us for this conversation. Yeah, where where can people find uh, more about you? You know, see, follow your your path, watch your stuff, support you. Uh, Jerry with a G, Maravilla, um, on Twitter, Instagram, and that's just my personal website too so uh kind of get a broad range of everything and is there anything you really want to plug like any specific film you want people to watch i mean cross is probably the thing that i'm still proudest of that i've directed and made even though it's been five years but um up in until the halloween club the film or the graphic novel whichever comes first and i have a place for people to actually buy it or watch it uh, i think it'll continue to be cross but you can always check out the halloween club hashtag to track my slow progress of getting something made from it <laughs> awesome thanks so much to kelsey rauber for our theme music kaylee brown for our podcast art ezra lee for editing this episode and to all of you for listening links to learn more about them and jerry are in our episode description and thank you to our booby VIPs who are $10 patrons on Patreon. Shannon Sprangler, Jules Piggott, Rain Bernal, Kelsey Rauber, Jerry Maravilla, Norman Steinberg, and Shana Rose Woolley. If you would like a name shout out at the end of every episode, please feel free to subscribe at patreon.com slash breaking out pod. We would love to add new VIPs to our roster. And also make sure to rate us five stars on your favorite podcast app if you haven't already. Actually writing a written review goes a long way and we appreciate it every single time. We just noticed a new one today and it filled our hearts with joy. So please lighten our hearts, friends, and rate us five stars mm-hmm. in your favorite podcast app. Uh, next episode, we are going to be covering directing. Um, all things directing, or at least the beginning of a conversation about directing. So be sure to tune in. Mm-hmm.